On one occasion, the curé of ours, St. John Vianney, was showing someone around his parish, and he asked him, how'd you like to see my collection of relics? He said, sure. After all, who wouldn't like to see a collection of relics of saints? So he took him outside, brought him up to the graveyard, and pointed at the graves and said, they're my relics. See, the reason the curé of ours is the patron saint of parish priests is because he got his people to become saints. So his graveyard was full of relics of saints. Those were his people. He got them to be saints. Although, unfortunately, none of your priests are the curé of ours, so that's what we're trying to do here. Uh, my goal, and certainly speaking for the other priests here, is for each one of you to become a saint. We don't want to lose a single one of you. So that's a goal, sainthood. So that's what I assume that everybody's interested in when they make the sacrifice to come to Mass here. So we're here to become saints. And in a minute you'll see that it's not really that hard. All right, this is assuming two things for sure. First off, keeping the commandments. Carefully keeping the commandments. They're not the ten relatively good ideas. They're the commandments. God set it up that way. They're the boundary conditions for keeping supernatural life within us. When we break the commandments, any serious sin destroys the life within us. I've mentioned this before, but I don't need to stand up here and say, don't lean on hot stoves, don't drink poison. Why? Because we have senses. Our natural life, God has equipped us with the ability to tell when we're threatening our natural life. So if you lean back on a hot wood stove, you don't need a priest going, by the way, you're burning yourself. I mean, you're going to jump away. You have the sense to do that. If you eat something bad, you'll get sick or throw up or something. Because our natural life, we have the ability to sense threats to it. It would be a horrible condition if we didn't have any pain receptors. We could really injure ourselves terribly and not realize what we were doing. But God's given those to us so we can tell what's going on with our natural life, that which we inherited from our folks. But the supernatural life, it's above our nature. It's completely beyond our ability to sense. We can't feel being in the state of grace. We can't feel what's hurting us in that way. So we have to just be instructed in this and take it on faith. So I'm in sales, not management. I don't make any of this stuff up. It would be easy for me to get up here and tell you guys what I like to think, blah, blah, blah. You know. And there's 40, 11 different kind of churches where they'll tell you exactly what you want to hear. We're not going to do that. We just want to tell you how it is. We're trying to get you to be good, not feel good. So all those things, we have to keep the commandments, and we just have to be ruthless about that with ourselves. That's a given. We have to stay in the state of grace. It's impossible to have sanctity without keeping the commandments and be in the state of grace. The state of grace means we have Christ's life within us. Okay, so that's a given. But what I want to go through this morning is I'm going to read through a questionnaire. What's the questionnaire? This is a translation of the questionnaire that church authorities use for the processes of beatification and canonization. When they're going to beatify someone or canonize them, you need the miracles, okay? That, that's, they need the miracles. But then they also need to show, did this, what kind of life did this person lead? So this is a questionnaire when they're asking witnesses about the servant of God. What kind of life did the servant of God lead? And as we read these questions, it's not to ponder what we're doing wrong. That's not the point. It's to ponder how could I better practice the particular virtues? And also to give us confidence, because I think after you've heard the questionnaire for what it is to be a beatus or a canonized saint, it ought to give you confidence, okay? So, here we go. Quote, 
The questions asked the witnesses in examining lives of servants of God are determined by the church. They give the official test, the official test of the church on Christian perfection and holiness. These questions have an authority above that of any spiritual writer. For encouragement, let us note that they describe Christian perfection as something to which we can all aspire. The questionnaires follow uh, the order of the four cardinal virtues and the three theological virtues. So they'll treat the virtues in this order, and I'll read it again as we go. Temperance, fortitude, justice, prudence, faith, hope, and charity towards man and towards God. So here's the test on the moral virtues. I'll just read these questions slowly. Test on the moral virtues. Temperance. Were denial of his own will and internal mortification characteristics of the servant of God? Did he restrain the motions of anger? Did he bear persecution with meekness and patience? Was he unduly tenacious of his own opinion? Was he sparing in the use of food and drink? Did he observe the fasts of the church? Did he indulge in long hours of sleep? Was his bed comfortable or uncomfortable? Was he anxious to be well-clothed and well-housed? Did he neglect the comforts of life? Did he mortify the senses? Did he love silence and solitude? Was he modest in his demeanor? Those are the questions about temperance. Questions about fortitude. Was he strong and faithful in the duties of his office, tireless in work, patient in persecution, injury, calumny, and trouble of mind. Has he borne all these in a cheerful spirit? Was he always himself not elated by prosperity or depressed by adversity? Did he despise the honors, riches, and pleasures of the world? Did he constantly defend the rights of the church and restrain the immorality of wicked men? Those are the questions on fortitude. Justice. Was he affable, friendly towards others? Was he subject to his parents and superiors? Did he show himself grateful for favors received and strive to excite gratitude in others? Did he discharge with justice the office committed to him, avoiding all favoritism? Did he so temper the severity of justice with kindness that no one could ever have just cause of complaint against him? Did he render unto God due honor and obedience? Did he pay veneration to the saints? Did he accept the decrees of the supreme pontiffs with proper respect and reverence? Was he exact in the observance of the sacred rites and ceremonies of the church? Did he endeavor to promote the worship of God? Did he respect the rights of all and give them what was due to them? Did he hate usury and fraud of every kind? That's justice. Prudence. Did he direct all his actions to attainment of eternal glory as his last end and select the necessary and useful means?
Did he love simplicity? And was he sincere and true in thought and word? And did he hate all duplicity and falsehood? Did he seek the advice of prudent men and act on it? Were all his acts good, and did he first invoke divine aid for their due performance? Had he a deep hatred of idleness as a source of vice, and did he love meditation and solitude? So that's prudence. Test on the theological virtues. That was the moral virtues. Theological virtues. Faith. Virtue of faith. Did he often return thanks to God that he was born in the bosom of the Catholic Church or that he received the grace of conversion to it and pray that all would be brought within her fold? Did he burn with the desire of propagating the faith? Did he teach the truths of Christianity to the faithful? And did he teach the catechism? Did he rejoice when some erring soul was converted to the Catholic faith? Was he grieved when the church suffered loss or persecution? Was the decoration of the house of God dear to him and the observance of the sacred ceremonies? Did he love devotion to the Blessed Virgin and endeavor to propagate it? How? Did he pray long and frequently before the Blessed Sacrament? Did he show a tender devotion to the passion of Jesus Christ? Did he often meditate on this mystery? With what fervor and piety? And did he strive to enkindle this devotion in others? Did he burn with the desire of shedding his blood for the truths of the faith? Did he venerate the sacred scriptures and the writings of the Holy Fathers? Did he obey the laws of the church and the commands of his superiors? Did he show honor to the sovereign pontiff and all the ministers of God? Did he desire to gain indulgences? Did he hate all bad books and everything opposed to the faith? Did he frequently approach the sacraments of penance and the blessed Eucharist? That's faith, the virtue of hope. Did he firmly hope for salvation from the merits of Christ our Lord? Did he despise the things of the world, and how did he show his contempt? In trying circumstances, did he place his trust in God alone and have recourse to prayer? Did he show his hope in God by ardent and pious exclamations? And did he raise up others to confidence in God? Did he show a desire by word and work to suffer for eternal glory? And did he rejoice at the near approach of death as the beginning of true life? With what confidence did he practice good works? Did he strive to excite this confidence in others? In adversity was he resigned to the goodness of God and the decrees of his providence? Did he direct his desires in all his actions to God as his last end? Did he bear cheerfully adversity and persecution? Did he desire with St. Paul to be dissolved and be with Christ? And did he bear infirmity and suffering with a joyous spirit? So that's the virtue of hope. The virtue of charity towards our neighbor regards to spiritual things. Did he pray for the conversion of sinners? What were his relations towards his enemies? 
Did he forgive them, receive them meekly, and pray for them? Did he prevent discord? Had he at heart the good name of others? With what frequency and fervor did he offer up prayers for the souls of the deceased? So that's charity to our neighbor with regards to spiritual things. Here's charity to our neighbor with regards to temporal things. Did he comfort the afflicted? Did he excuse, when opportune, the defects of his neighbors? What was his attitude towards the sick? Did he love the poor, help them according to his ability, and strive to induce others to assist him? Did he instruct the ignorant and give counsel to those in doubt? Did he admonish sinners, restore peace and concord amongst the quarrelsome? Did he devote himself to the spiritual and physical well-being of the sick? So that's charity to our neighbor with regards to temporal things. Now, charity towards God. Was his mind always fixed on God and in union with God? And by what acts, words, or aspirations was this union made manifest? Did he hate sin and take care to preserve himself free from every defect? Did he speak often of God? Was his prayer constant and fervent? Did he remain long in prayer before the most blessed sacrament? Did he lead others to the practice of prayer? How? Did he meditate on the passion of Christ? By what acts did he show his devotion to the passion? How did he show devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary? Did he prevent the commission of sin and feel sorrow for it when committed by others? Did he endeavor to inflame others with charity towards God? Did he, by fasting and mortification, bring the flesh into subjection that he might be more pleasing to God? Had he a supernatural desire for affliction, contradiction, contempt, and how did he bear them? And did he endeavor with all his might to excite others to praise the divine goodness? That is the official questionnaire. There's a few other questions for religious, but we're not reading it to religious. This is doable. It's doable for everyone here. It's doable. It ought to fill you with a lot of confidence. There isn't a single thing in this that isn't doable for everyone here. Holding that in mind, I just want to make one more comment before we end today. There are many people that aren't making the progress in the interior life that they're capable of. Now, people will make progress at different rates, okay? I'm just going to use more poetic language than getting a bunch of technical vocabulary for the sake of time. But when we're getting started in the spiritual life, you can think of it, we're just, when we're children of spiritual life, in other words, when we're just starting, getting started in the spiritual life, we've been baptized, or uh, we've converted after after a, a rough time or whatever. We've had a conversion or finally made a real good confession. We're going to get on the right path. So we're getting started on our spiritual life. And we think this spiritual life like a little blossom. It's just a little bud. It's ever so beautiful, but it's really tiny in the depths of our soul. That would be a good image to think of. And what we do then is we keep that area, the whole temple of our heart, clean. By avoiding sin, 
by frequent confession. And then we go to communion. And because Christ our Lord is alive, because he is the living bread that comes down for heaven to give us this life, this eternal life, as we go to communion, what happens in our spiritual life is that little bud that started off when we're immature starts to bloom and blossom out. And our soul, our interior life starts getting filled with spiritual joy and peace. It flows into us in Holy Communion. And all this interior beauty should then start becoming visible in our life. How does it become visible? We just went through the checklist. Those are visible signs of the interior life. It is visible in that way. No, we can't directly see somebody in the state of grace. That would take a a charismatic gift or something, that a special gift that God gives to certain saints and holy people. It's not whether or not we can see the state of grace. We can see whether they're living with the life of Christ, because Christ is alive, and then he starts living in us. So what St. Paul's talking about, I live, now not I, but Christ lives in me. So what happens is, it starts getting visible. People grow in sanctity at different rates, but we should be growing. And a lot of people are not growing at the rate they should. And it's not because they're being bad. It's because there's one thing they're leaving out. And there's all kinds of questions that relate to it. I'll read the questions and then I'll go to it. And I want everybody to think about if this applies to them. Okay? What's missing in somebody that's living a good life, keeping the commandments, saying their prayers, doing all the, all the different things, but they're not making the progress maybe they should? Christ gave us his life, okay? And here's the questions. I'll ask the questions right here, right out of the questionnaire. I'll just read it in the second, third person. Did he burn with the desire of propagating the faith? Did he rejoice when some erring soul was converted to the Catholic faith? Did he love devotion to the Blessed Virgin and endeavor to propagate it? Did he show a tender devotion to the passion of Jesus Christ and strive to enkindle this devotion in others? Did he show his hope in God by ardent and pious exclamations? And did he raise others to confidence in God? With what confidence did he practice good works and strive to excite this confidence in others? Did he speak often of God? Did he lead others to the practice of prayer? Did he endeavor to flame others with charity towards God? Did he endeavor with all his might to excite others to praise divine goodness. Those are questions. And obviously I'm emphasizing. There's a truth. If we can put it in, in, in negative terms, we can say our lack of growth is directly proportional to our lack of reaching out to others. Or in positive terms, our rate of growth is directly proportional to our rate of reaching out to others. Christ wants to live in us and use us as his instruments so that we're Christ to the world. He wants to use our eyes, our lips, our hands to spread this devotion to him, to give these saving truths out to people that he died to give them to. But he put it in the hands of men. He doesn't sit there and individually illuminate every person. He puts it in our hands to reach out to our neighbors, to be Christ to the world. And if we're not doing that, First off, that may have been the condition for that person to come to a saving knowledge of Christ and to come on board the ark, to come into the Catholic Church. Number one, just hold that thought. I, I just propose it to you. If you knew the cure for some kind of horrible cancer, would you keep it a secret? 
I don't think so. We've got the cure for hell. It's the only one. We've got it. He gave it to us. We don't deserve it. We know the cure for hell. Are we sharing that with people that are heading that way as far as we can tell? We leave the judgment to God. But as far as we can tell, if they're not Catholics living an authentic Catholic life, which is really narrowing down the field right now, if they're not in those categories, we got to assume they're in deep, serious trouble and we need to do something for them. We've got the cure for where they seem to be headed. Are we reaching out to others? All due proportion has to be observed in protecting our young. Yeah, that's true, but still we can see our lack of growth will be directly proportional to our lack of reaching out. Our rate of growth will be directly proportional to our rate of reaching out. Let's not be afraid to pick up our cross, break out of our little comfort zones, out of our little circles, whatever circumstances might be, and reach out to our neighbors. Reach out and spread the good news while there's still time.